When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue, proudly affiliated with the Fans First Sports Network, where you are hopefully subscribed for a ton of great Cubs content. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about Justin Steele, Cy Young Award case, and more for Bleed Cubby Blue. And as always, I am joined by the one and only Danny Rocket. How's it going, Danny? Sweep! 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 I was chanting that just yesterday in the bleachers uh, at the San Francisco Giants, who basically had their season ended by the Chicago Cubs. I'm looking forward to it happening this weekend in Arizona. You know, Sarah, I didn't think we were going to be here at this time of year, September 7th. And I, I thought that, you know, we were going to trade Stroman. He's on the shelf anyway. So didn't, that didn't matter, but I thought Bellinger would be gone. I thought maybe any, any of these little pieces that they could have moved on at the trade deadline. I thought that, this season was ended because of the bad play early in the year, a terrible May and this resurgent team that did not click for really the first half of the season has somehow put it together. And now they've added to it with amazing performances. I mean, I know I'm kind of getting ahead of ourselves right now, uh, but Oh my God, did I not expect to be here in this situation? Like right before we went on, I'm we're like talking about our schedules. Cause like everything gets busy in September for everybody. And I'm like, I thought the Cubs would be out of it. We'd be phoning these in, but instead we have meaningful September baseball to talk about. Um, the only problem that I had yesterday with anything that happened yesterday is that I got stung by a bee on the way to the game. And I am currently have a giant itchy rash on my arm and that may need medical attention that I don't have the money or time to give it. But um, anyway, I'm just, I can't believe we're here. I can't believe we're talking about a team that could now just maybe even sneak into the division after the, <laughs> after CB Buckner single-handedly beat the Brewers yesterday. Like, well, hold on. Now you're getting way ahead of yourself. So let's start <laughs> with, let's start with the Cubs series against yeah, the Giants. Start? Um, yeah. Now we start at game one, Danny. That's what we do here. I, I'm going to leave my medical problems out of this show because nobody wants to hear about those. I'm sure, but I'm sorry to hear about your B incident. That sounds Ugh. awful. Uh, game one, I was at this game. This was the Justin Steele special and the article I referenced at the top uh, came out after this game, Justin Steele's Cy Young Award candidacy just keeps getting stronger, man. This was clearly far and away the best game that Justin Steele has ever thrown. Eight innings of scoreless two-hit baseball. He struck out 12. He only walked two. And the thing that I have to say about this, well, actually two things about this game. Number one, 
the wind was blowing out and it was like 89 degrees and humid at Wrigley Field. That is a perfect hitter's night. And the fact that this game did not turn into like a 12 to 15 extravaganza a la Wrigley Field in August is solely the two guys who were on the mound starting for both teams. I mean, Justin Steele threw an absolute gem and we'll talk about it in a second. But Logan Webb was also exceptional. And Logan Webb has a Cy Young case of his own. He's thrown 187 innings this year. He looks like one of maybe three pitchers who might actually clear 200 innings. The Cubs did very little with what Logan Webb had out there. But one of the things they did was a Seiya Suzuki home run, and that put the Cubs up one nothing. It allowed Justin Steele to stay in the game for a career-high first seven strikeouts to finish out the seventh inning and then 12 – or sorry, 11 strikeouts to finish out the seventh inning and then 12 strikeouts uh, by the end of the eighth. Steele was nails in this game, Danny. Talk to me about Justin Steele's Thy Young Award case, and we'll talk about Seiya Suzuki in one of the later games. Well, I for um, Cubs Pod, which is the Sun Ranto's uh, Patreon-only podcast that we put out, uh, I did – the next day, it was my job to do a recap of this game. And I'm like, you know what? I don't feel like doing a recap of this game. I'm just going to do an entire podcast on Justin Steele and why he should be the Cy Young. And and I did that. And first of all, Justin Steele leads in many categories. Uh, he's second to to uh, in ERA to Blake Snell. Um, he's got uh, all the wins in the world. I know pitcher wins don't matter, but for some reason in the Cy Young candidacy, they matter because it's like old sports writers be like, got to win when he's on the, on the hump, you know, and he's, you know, he's right there in almost every single category. He doesn't have the innings pitch. I think that's what kind of hurts him, but, and, and he doesn't have the strikeouts of like a strider, but then like strider just lost last night strider. He's um, got an ERA, uh, almost a, a full run higher than steel maybe even higher than that now after last night so i don't care if you're striking everybody out if you're giving up runs you know what i mean he in every single category he's right there he's second in quality starts he's second in era and when it comes to matchups like against logan webb this monday where that he logan webb is a cy young candidate he still beat him in another head-to-head matchup just last week against corbin burns Steel beat him head to head. He beat him. And that was another one to nothing game. Um, and well, this one ended up, ended up five, nothing, but still uh, against the giants, but it wasn't Logan Webb's fault. And then in another head to head matchup against Blake Snell, steel one. So in the well, head, Blake Snell, Blake Snell doesn't have really the innings either. I think when I looked at this uh, before my piece dropped, Snell had like three more innings than steel and, and steals, People look at innings and they worry that you're like a Kyle Hendricks in 2016, that you never go through third time through the order or you never like you only throw five innings or something like that. That's not what Steele has done. He throws he is second in the league in quality starts or was when I wrote that piece a couple of days ago with 19 of them like he goes six or more a lot. Um, in fact, if you go back to what Justin Steele has done since July 1st of last year. I mean, it's utterly, it's utterly bonkers. He's got like a 2.28 ERA and an even lower FIPS. I totally agree with you. Spencer Strider hurt his Cy Young Award case yesterday. I actually think he had the strongest rebuttal to Justin Steele going into last night just because of the strikeouts. But innings could be a problem uh, with Blake Snell. 
We'll see if Snell gives one up down the stretch as the Padres look to be pretty out of it. They absolutely got uh, crushed yesterday by the Phillies. And so I think that as the Padres fade down the stretch, there will be less of an impetus for uh, Blake Snell to go six, seven deep in games and more of an impetus for Steele to do so. But man, it's been fun to watch a Cy Young caliber pitcher at Wrigley Field again. Yeah, and I'll add one other number to uh, to diss on Blake Snell, and that is that he's given up 89 walks in his 155 innings, and Steele only 33 in three less innings. He doesn't have as many strikeouts, um, you know, 153 to 201, but those walks, you're putting runners on base. Like, you're, Snell's whip is higher, even though the batting average against Steele is higher. So, and... And even like when you look at things like FIP, Steele's only, I think, around a three FIP right now. And so you could say like, oh, you've got this great defense up the middle and in center field. And that's what's adding to this pitch to contact Justin Steele's, uh, you know, success. But it's not the numbers don't bear it out. The FIP is in line with what you'd think it should be. Well, and as far as like pitching to the defense that exists behind you and all that jazz, that's what great pitchers do. I don't know if you saw Rob Friedman shared an interview with Greg Maddox uh, earlier this week. I retweeted it because it was amazing, but it got me thinking about Justin Steele and Kyle Hendricks, actually. So in this interview, Maddox talks about a game where and they show this pitch. They show this uh, two seamer that Maddox throws that like darts across back across the plate with just unreal movement like this is one of those pitches that I would see in a game and be like what is that that can't be a two-seamer and Maddox like I remember that pitch because of course he does he's Greg Maddox he's like the ball had a scuff on it and back in those days the ball stayed in play until it got hit out of play and so because the previous play had gone to the shortstop and it just came right back to the pitcher like they weren't throwing new balls out every two seconds to get rid of any possible move like ding on the ball at any given opportunity. And Maddox is like, I was waiting to get that ball back because I knew it had this scuff on it. And I knew I could do this thing with the two seamer. I'm like, how many pitches did Greg Maddox throw in his career with balls that he knew were like, ah, this ball's going to be great. Cause it's a little bit hammered and mangled that Justin Steele doesn't get to do that. Kyle Hendricks doesn't get to do that. And also, we all know that Greg Maddox got the zone, right? Like the zone would just creep out a little bit, and then it would creep out a little bit more, and then it would creep out a little bit more. And the CB Buckners of the world were calling those strikes like they called against the Brewers, but it does it it looked fine because there was no little box on TV and nobody could be like, Yeah, it's not, that's a wild strike. So anyway, I say that because it makes what Justin Steele is doing at this moment in time all that much more impressive he's doing it without like scuff you know scuff ball magic and ex- ever expanding strike zone sorry Jan Gomes your your charisma and magic is not that strong well and he's doing it with uh only two pitches <laughs> so there's, <laughs> there's that as well and you know he's doing it with control he's doing it with um changing of speeds he's just and, and to see the strikeout numbers, and it's interesting because Steele's had games where he's had a lot of strikeouts, and he's had games where he's had barely any strikeouts. And so he's not doing it in just one way. And now I don't know if that is more because of the team they're facing. Like some teams are obviously more free swingers. Some teams are real contact-based teams like the Cubs seem to be right now. But, it, you know, when, it, when you see Justin Steele going out there – 
it maybe it's game planning. Maybe you've got to give a lot of credit to any of the catchers that he's working with. Like there's a lot going on in Steele's numbers. And I, my fear is that because he doesn't have like the striking headline numbers that his case will be diminished for the idiot sports writers. Like who, who are these people anyway? Like Bob Nightingale, well, <laughs> like the guy who hasn't of, been yes, right. Actually, I mean, it's, it's, so I was talking about this on another podcast recently where somebody's like, who votes for these things? Uh, so it is, and, and I don't know if you were asking the question rhetorically or not, but some of our listeners may want to know. So I'm going to be that girl for a second and channel my like teacher, inner teacher and, and answer the question. Um, the Baseball Writers Association of America, the same people that vote for the Hall of Fame, they vote for all of the postseason awards, but they get assigned categories, right? So it's not like the entire core of people votes for every single award. Pockets of people vote for different awards. And so you might get assigned to vote for the NL Cy Young. You might get assigned to vote for the AL Cy Young. You might get assigned to vote for the manager of the year. You might get assigned to vote for the rookie of the year, right? So it's little pockets of voters. Um, and because the BBWA is a diverse body, you don't actually know. Who, well, I don't know. I don't have a list or anything. Somebody out there probably knows. But like what type of cohort you're going to get. You could get a cohort that includes a lot of like Eno Saraces. And Eno is a stuff guy. Eno likes pitches that move and strikeouts and whiffs and all that type of stuff. Right. And so Eno, at least prior to yesterday, I think he would even, you know, would agree like after Strider's blow up yesterday that Steele's case is stronger. But I, I think going into yesterday, somebody like, you know, would have had a case that Strider was better than Steele, but Steele was really fun to watch. In fact, I'm fairly certain I heard him make that case on Rates and Barrels recently, which is his podcast with uh, Derek Van Riper. Um, and I say that to say, if the cohort is a bunch of like Bob Nightingale types, Bob Nightingale doesn't know stuff and stats and he, he looks at ERA and wins. And like, frankly, he's wrong half the time. So like, I don't know, man, it is theoretically possible that you get a cohort of dudes who are voting for the NL Cy Young, who are not a bunch of saber metric nerd people like myself. Um, I think that after watching Strider yesterday, uh, I, I'd probably vote for Steele if I had a vote right now. Like, I think that I just let my homerism take over a little bit and ignore the 0 0.05 whatever Blake Snell's ERA is over Justin Seals and say, sorry, Blake, you only have nine wins. And I, I honestly almost started writing a piece yesterday for Bleed Cubby Blue about whether wins matter or not, mainly because I wanted to make the homer case that wins matter, even though I know they don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't matter. <laughs> they don't matter except in some weird way where even with position players, like I've looked up, what is the Cubs record when this guy plays? Yeah, you know, like, like it's not real. <laughs> I know it's not real, but somehow it is real in my head. And that's what I'm saying is these kind of things are the things that baseball writers sometimes look at. And they certainly looked at them in the past. And maybe that was fair to look at them in the past when your average starting pitcher, one of the things that you wanted them to do was go really long into a game. In fact, they normally did. You know, you have Fergie Jenkins, like hitting 300 innings, you know, that used uh, to be multiple a, times, multiple man. times, you know, over courses of, of long stretches of, of a long career. And that dude has like 290 complete games. Yeah. It's a bonkers number of complete games. <laughs> so even anyway. so, if your team managed to score at all, you had a good chance of getting a win. You know, if you're going that deep into a game. So 
yeah, of course it's a dumb way to look at things, but that's how they used to look at. It. And you got to know that they knew back then that there was a lot of BS baked into that cake of a pitcher win, you know, Oh, you lose one to nothing, but you shut them out for eight innings before you gave up a solo shot with the wind blowing out at Wrigley, you know, like, and you lose one zip, you know, it could be a game like that. Like I don't, for example, I don't think Logan Webb pitched badly in game one. No, he picked, he pitched great. Yeah. Logan Webb was outstanding. If Lo- if the Cubs had a Logan Webb on their team, I'd be very happy to have Logan Webb. I just thought it was amazing that Justin Steele was a little bit better. And in fact, let's talk about game two because we're well into the Justin Steele. We'll come back to Justin Steele, people. He'll be a recurring theme. Be a recurring theme for, for the whole show. But I want to talk about game two because, you know, Kyle Hendricks didn't throw badly in this game, but it was similar conditions at Wrigley Field. And as a result, he was down early against the Giants' bullpen pretty quick it looked like the giants were going to win this game they were up six to four against the cubs late in the sixth inning hendo comes out of the game you're dealing with like a bullpen that for some reason does not include uh albert alvali in the mix at the moment he got a couple of days off probably needed it like we've talked about on the show he's been overused a little bit but you know they're they're bringing in hayden wisneski they're bringing in drew smiley and mark Leiter jr and jose quas and we're all out in the bleachers going, okay, well, this is probably a lost cause. And then this Cubs team doesn't apparently believe in lost causes because Christopher Morrell comes to the plate and parks one in dead center. And frankly, I I am always here for Christopher Morrell home runs. I am always here for Christopher Morrell bat flips. This particular Christopher Morrell bat flip was reminiscent of the one that Wilson Contreras did in September against the White Sox where he like flipped his bat to the moon and it went rocketing over the power sign. We found out later that Anthony Rizzo had told him, if you get a chance to do something to fire up the team, do it. And Wilson's idea of what that should be was to send his bat to Jupiter. (laughs) He got Rizzo and Napoli laughing their heads off in the dugout. That's what this bat flip from Christopher Morrell reminded me of. And whoever caught the camera angle where Morrell backs out with the bat in his hand and then the bat just comes rocketing back over the plate. God bless you person, because I've, I've gotten a lot of joy from that clip. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I call it the ghost bat because <laughs> it just, <laughs> the bat just comes into frame and leaves Whee! frame. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, no. And I was like, Oh man, he's going to take one right in the ribs because he stood there too long and watched it. I don't know what kind of team the giants are. And I know the younger pitchers aren't really like this, but there's still some guys that would take exception to a flip like that. Um, especially as you destroy the giants 2023 season, like in front of their very eyes, this was a game they had a chance at winning Cubs came back and you got to say, say a Suzuki, who's really the hottest cub of them all. He's the one that tied the game. To, to start the the scoring um, in that six-run seventh. Just incredible stuff. Um, yeah, can we talk about Say it Suzuki specifically for one second? Please. He, because I, mean, I had given up. <laughs> I had I not, had. actually. I had given up um, on the season. I'd given up on Say Suzuki. I'm like, it's all a bust. <laughs> Close down Wrigley for the season. I'm out of here. I've been waiting for this Say Suzuki to show up, and I was pretty sure that he was going to at some point in time, but I wasn't 100% sure. As the season got later, I had the good fortune of getting to join the Giants pregame show, their radio pregame show. Um, prior to the series, Marty Lurie had me on and he asked uh, which players were going to impact this series the most. I was kind of going through our hot and cold bats. I said, you know, everybody is talking about Cody Bellinger and they should. What Cody Bellinger is doing right now 
is unbelievable. And we'll talk about it in a second. But the guy who has been the best hitter for the Chicago Cubs for the past month has been Seiya Suzuki. So since Seiya Suzuki got benched for about four days in July, uh, he has come back. The date he was back in the lineup was July 14th. And since July 14th, this is what Seiya Suzuki has done. He's had 194 plate appearances. He has slashed 299, 351, 554 during that time period. He's got a WRC plus of 141 during that time period. He's hit nine home runs, stolen four bases, scored 34 runs, and drove in 30. Seiya Suzuki is a man on a mission. And if I don't know if you happen to catch his postgame interview Earlier in this series, they tried to catch up with him and get him to go all rah-rah and happy, like everything is great. This was not a Christopher Morrell postgame. You do a Christopher Morrell postgame, Christopher Morrell's like, Cubs good, baseball is good, Cubs going to the playoffs, let's go. Like, that is a Christopher Morrell postgame, right? Say Suzuki was stone-faced, he's like, I've still got work to do. <laughs> She's yeah. like, oh man, Saya is on one. And I think he could just close out the season with numbers like this, get to October and be like, nope, still got to prove myself. <laughs> Well, and he does because last year was, I mean, and you give a guy a year, get into the season. He wasn't always healthy, and then he wasn't healthy at the beginning of the year, and it just kind of felt like we weren't going to get that batting champion that we thought we were going to get because, you know, he was batting like 350 in Japan. We're like, man, even if he bats 300, that's good, you know, with a little pop. Like, you'll take that all day long. But his tear recently, like September – like you call Mike Talkman, like the summer of Talkman. <laughs> this is the autumn of Saya. The September of Saya. September. Oh, se- oh, it, uh, September. Sept. Sept. Yes. September. Yes. September. September. September is happening. Call Joe. That's the name of the episode. September is happening. September is happening. Because listen to this guy in September 448, 484. 931. So it's like he's slugging 931. And it's a lot of doubles. He has five doubles in September so far in only 31 plate appearances. So and three home runs. Five doubles, three home runs. So basically one third of his hits are extra base hits. And he's just on fire. And I'm here. I mean, and this is what you need. Like when you had a hot Cody Bellinger, you knew it wasn't going to last forever. He's not going to bat 500. He's not freaking Ted Williams. He's Ted Williams for a month. And if we get Ted Williams out of Seiya Suzuki for September, then that leads us through. I mean, you got, you've got reinforcements within your team coming, you know, like it's almost like, it's almost like Seiya Suzuki's coming back from injury. Cause he was a, less than replacement level player for a while this season. And for those uh, averages to, I guess, revert to some sort of middle, but in the extreme ways, like kind of an Ian Happ situation it's like, I'm going to be dog crap in April, but incredible in May and June. And then I'm going to slow down a little bit. And then, you know, it's inconsistent, but when it's on, it's on baby. And here we are in September and, and, uh, and Mike Talkman seems to be coming back too. So maybe yeah, his his summers it seems to be getting extended too. So. Well, and Christopher Morrell coming back with a little pop too. I, I would love to see Christopher Morrell do some damage here. I actually, you know, we give uh, David Ross a lot of grief on this podcast. I think that David Ross did a couple of things very well in this game. I, I saw some complaining on Twitter about like the 
Patrick Wisdom, Mike Talkman, Morrell DHing that they were doing against the Giants. I actually thought that was brilliant. That's exactly what you have to do against this Giants team. They like bullpen games. They have a bunch of starters who only go two or three innings, and then they bring in a mid guy who goes two or three innings, and they bring in a back end guy who goes an inning and a half, right? Like, so you kind of have to play those matchups against the Giants. And if you're if you don't have any position where you're willing to do that, you wind up in a disadvantage. And I thought that even if those did that didn't always work, right? Like Patrick Wisdom didn't have any hits in this series and he only got a couple of at bats. I think it did effectively get into Gabe Kapler's head that he couldn't just like pull pitchers in and out. David Ross had Alexander Canario on the bench and he could come in and the next as the next guy up, right? And I think that that sort of gamesmanship between managers can be very effective and David Ross did a nice job of it. I also thought that David Ross did a nice job of not going to Alzali in that second game when it was a save situation and he could have tried to pull in his A bullpen and done all of that stuff. He recognized that, you know, if we're going to win games later, Alzali needs to rest a little bit. And he did. I want to talk about game three for a second before we talk about the state of the division and then head to a break. I mean, this game was Cubs early, Cubs often, and I kind of felt bad for the Giants, man. Like, I I just want to say to some friends of mine who are Giants friends, because I do have some, <laughs> they're nice people who love their team and were really excited going into the series. And I this reminds me of the series in 2015 where the Cubs swept the Giants in August, and it was like, oh, the Cubs are for real. And my joy went skyrocketing, and all my Giants friends were like, well, I'm going to do something else now. <laughs> and I, I feel for you, Giants friends, because that's sad. <laughs> Yeah, that was that series looking back was one of those where the Cubs were replacing the Giants as the dominant team. This one is more like we're all fighting to be somewhat better than mediocre and we're going to get into the wild card. Like, you know, although the Cubs do have a chance at the division, uh, they wouldn't have a chance at a division in any other division in the National League right now. But you do see the Cubs burying the Giants and we got to do that again against the Diamondbacks this week, but that's what you have to do. If you're going to be a playoff team that is going to go deep into the playoffs, you have to beat the teams that are in front of you or behind you that are trying to nip at your heels. And they did it, you know, and they and, did it. They and, absolutely did it. And an easy win to do, to do it as well. And that an was easy cool. Win. Hold on. This is why I almost wrote my like, do wins matter piece. It was going to wax philosophic about like the value of wins. Here's a crazy stat from yesterday that I think I kind of buried with like all of the damage Cody Bellinger's doing and all of the damage Seiya Suzuki's doing and all that jazz. Jordan Wicks makes his Wrigley Field debut. Uh, He had had his first two starts on the road. He'd never pitched at Wrigley Field. And the dude comes out on a day where, again, the wind is blowing out at Wrigley Field, and it's like 87 degrees. I mean, it was warm yesterday at game time. It cooled off after the rain later, but it, it was pretty warm at game time. Jordan Wicks comes into this game and just throws six and two-thirds innings of two-run baseball. He only struck out one, but like I don't really care. He keeps the ball in the yard. It's an incredible feat to throw a two-run, six and two-thirds inning game your third start ever at Wrigley. So incredible, in fact, that Jordan Wicks is the first pitcher for the Cubs since 1911 to win his first three starts. Yeah, 3-0. and Mark Pryor didn't start. do it. Kerry Wood didn't do it. Greg Maddox didn't do it. Carlos Zambrano, who did an 
excellent seventh inning stretch the other day. Big Z stretches forever. Didn't do it. None of those guys did that. Jordan Wicks did that. Yeah. Well, and that is uh, despite Jeff Garland trying to ruin the afternoon with his stretch. <laughs> I wasn't there. I missed it. Oh, I was working. I had it muted, and I saw, I saw Twitter blow up later. I was like, ah, oh, it's a Jeff Garland day. Jeff Garland is the anti-King Midas. Like, everything he touches does not turn to gold. <laughs> Just... I was going to say, Danny, it's still a family. It's still a family. Yeah, I know. No, I do, but you, you can <laughs> fill in the blank with what you think it turns to. But um, nine hits for Wicks in the game. So he did get a little bit lucky, you know, giving up nine hits and only the two runs. So they just couldn't put them together in the right order. The Cubs defense was on display. And once again, if you're built as a pitch to contact rotation and you've got an amazing defense and you pitch to that contact that you're supposed to pitch to let them hit it because that ends up that then you get 6.2. Like if you're Spencer Strider and throwing like 10 pitches to try to get somebody out, and it's got to be a strikeout because you're Spencer Strider and you're doing 13 per nine, uh, you know, uh, on average. Well, then you're going to throw a lot of pitches and you're not going to pitch as long into games. And even though he has, um, but it's just it's efficient to be Justin Steele is efficient to be Jordan Wicks is efficient. And um, as a, a rookie who's just ready for it, this is exactly what we needed. My only complaint is that he wasn't here as soon as Stroh went down. Said you well, messed around, you know. I, I'm just saying, like, oh, what? What he wasn't ready, like two weeks earlier. Are you kidding me? You know, he was ready. He is obviously ready. He's been great. Uh, I I see a lot of people talking on Twitter about his routine where he throws a football in the outfield before the game, and he he says he said in interviews he's been doing that his whole childhood. Like that's just a thing he does before he pitches. Whatever you need to do to throw that changeup. Keep it up because it is it is totally working. Another thing that is working is Cody Bellinger just putting up RBIs. And I, so I wrote a piece, a deep dive on Cody Bellinger a couple of months ago that was a little skeptical about whether or not the Cubs should go after him long-term because Cody Bellinger is having a breakout season, but his barrel rate is at a career low. His hard hit rate is at a career low. His strikeout rate is also at a career low. And I couldn't really figure out, I'm like, is is this like replicable? Is this luck? What is going on? I've been keeping a close eye on Cody Bellinger ever since. And and I do think it's replicable, but I think it's the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. Danny, have you noticed that when Cody hits for power, he hits power to the pull side, like almost all the time. Occasionally he goes off Otako, but like most of the time his power is going to the pull side and his extra bases, his hard hits are going to the pull side. But when he hits those little like bloop singles just over the head of the shortstop or like finding a hole somewhere in the outfield, those ones that drive in multiple runs, like, oh, there's extra runners on base. Here comes Cody Bellinger. And I start tweeting, you can't spell Bellinger without RBI and all that jazz. He's literally directing the ball. It's almost like he's just like kind of doing these little flare shots over the heads of the infielders because he can. That's a remarkable skill. I don't think I've ever seen anyone with the ability to just like direct a baseball to the empty part of the, of his, of the field like that. Since like maybe Ichiro, like it's just a nutty skill. And I think it's one of the reasons his barrel rate is so low is because he's sacrificing those barrels for these little jam shots that are driving in dudes. Cody Bellinger has 40 runs batted in since August 1st. 
That's nuts. Yeah. And well, the only other guy I can think of on the Cubs that could do that in a way, and they shifted him terribly at the time was uh, Anthony Rizzo who could, who would choke up and, you know, but he was real obvious about it where Cody Bellinger just seems like he's kind of has a similar, like he doesn't choke. uh, He's not choking up obviously in the same way as Rizzo where you're like, Oh, look at him. He's just ready to smack the ball, whatever comes his way. But if you look at his MVP season and it's a total outlier, by the way, his MVP season, it is when he batted three Oh five and also hit 47 home runs. Like that was 2019 where the ball was basically a racket ball, you know? So it's amazing to think that he hit 47 home runs and now he's returned and he did hit 39 in his rookie season where he won rookie of the year, but he only batted 267. but to raise your average 50 points and hit eight more home runs, even if it is a racket ball, you've got to be spraying the ball all around the field to get that average. Cause you know, that's just how it works. But, yeah. He's so, so Danny, before we head to the break, stuff. before we head to the break, I got to ask the question. Should the Cubs re-sign Cody Bellinger? I, when I wrote that piece, I was a little bit on the fence. I was like, ah, oh, you know, you might trade him, get whatever you can for him. This was one of the Cubs were not competitive people. Obviously I'm glad they didn't trade Cody Bellinger. I was like, oh, you got a great season. Maybe he collapses somewhere else, but whatever. I think that he might just be a really great fit for Wrigley Field and this team. And frankly, like, bring PCA up to play center field. Let Cody Bellinger play first. Let Matt Mervis DH figure out what you can do with the Mervis Morrell conundrum. Like, maybe one of them gets traded. Maybe one of them sticks around. Like, I kind Cody Bellinger is only 28 years old. If you can get that dude to sign a six- or seven-year deal with an option that, you know, matches up with what he's looking for and – Clearly, he likes it here. <laughs> like He is doing great in Chicago. I think it's great that they didn't trade him because it signals to him that they also want him, I yeah. believe. And they do have, I think, first rights just for having him right now. Um, and if the Cubs put the right number down on a piece of paper and send it to Scott Boris – they will accept the offer because Cody, I think he likes it here. I really do think he likes being a cub. I think he sees what's coming too, because behind him, I mean, there's, there's guys to play first and center. Like he could DH. He, I mean, the flex, not that he wants, to, he's a gold glove, but he's you know, a great defender. Yeah. He's DH a few times this year. And it's just basically Ross being like, get off your feet, just go up there and bat. We need your bat, but we, you know, we're going to let you sit on the bench. Either way. It's not like, there's backups for him is what I'm, and that's kind of a nice thing as you're a veteran going through, you know, it's like, not that you just have a backup, but you're having, you're building a team that can win at all, at all times. Like, Oh, you go down for a week. It doesn't mean that everything's going to fall apart and you're going to miss the playoffs. Cause you're gone. You know, there's, there's something about like he was on the Dodgers, Dodgers, amazing players through and through. They're like, Every single guy in all-star, that's the teams that he's played on in the past. That's got to take a lot of pressure off of you instead of being the main guy that always has to perform. In And um, anyway, what the Cubs building is, our building is good. And he should want to be a part of it. And I think he likes being a part of it. I think he likes being a part of it more than like, let's say, Marcus Stroman likes maybe being a part of it. Like I think 
Marcus Stroman likes being a part of it. And actually, so we got word this week that Marcus Stroman is throwing again in Arizona. He's at the Complex League, throwing some bullpen sessions and stuff. I have no idea what that means in terms of a timetable for return. One of the things that's going to be weird with the Stroman injury is that he's not going to have a huge opportunity to rehab at one of the minor league affiliates because the minor league affiliates are going to be done. I think that's why they sent him to Arizona to kind of build up again. However, I don't know that Marcus Stroman is going to be able to opt out the way he thought he could in June. Because I, I just don't know that that's going to be the best financial decision based on where everything has landed since it looked like it was certain he was going to opt out. He's not going to get a huge contract again. He's I, I don't I think he'd get another like mid tier high AAV type of thing where he has to prove himself with an opt out. So if that's the case, just prove yourself with the opt out for the Cubs. Come back next year. Let's run this back one more time. See if you can get Bellinger to sign on, and, and we'll go from there. <laughs> I'll go you one better. Come back for the playoffs. And if you're not ready for the first round, get back by the second round and help us in the DS or the CS or, you know, it, something like that is, is what I'd like to see um, because he threw a bullpen and, you know, they're so tight-lipped about this stuff. We don't really know how it went, but the all signs pointed to that, you know, it still seems like he could be making a comeback. I don't know, maybe even by the last week of the year. Um, yeah, that's what, that's what we're talking about in the bleachers yesterday. Anyway, <laughs> you know, we're no, all- I, I, that's what I hear too. Um, let's, uh, we're well overdue for a quick break on the flip side. We are going to talk about the NL central race. The Cubs are two games behind the Brewers in a, the loss column. And they probably owe CB Buckner a really nice bottle of wine because CB <laughs> Buckner contributed to the Cubs closing that gap a little bit yesterday. In case you missed it, we'll have all of that. Uh, the Brewers are five and five over their last 10 games. The Cubs are seven and three over their last 10 games. They are 1.5 games back in the division and the Reds are kind of fading a bit. Uh, the Diamondbacks are headed to town. That's another team trying to chase down a wild card spot that the Cubs need to beat. There's a lot going on in September. It's the best month of the year, but first a quick break. And we're back. Let's start with this division race. Danny, tell people what CB Buckner did for the Cubs yesterday. Well, he helped the Pirates beat the Brewers, and the Brewers lost 2-3 or three while the Cubs were sweeping the Giants. And we have a chance tonight to pick up yet another half game because the Brewers don't play. But, man, C.B. Buckner, that ball, I, it was on William Contreras, I believe. It would have tied the game. Is that right? Uh, I, didn't, I just watched the – I didn't – I saw that the game ended on the pitch. I did not like totally clock the, uh, but I think it would have tied the game. Or I put know it's the... a three-two count. Hold on, I, I know it was a three-two count. I don't remember if the bases were loaded or if there were runners at the corners. Like it was one of those situations where obviously, if you're the Brewers, you're hoping you can keep that rolling, right? Yeah, I'm. I'm looking it up right now. I've I've got the game uh, up here. I'm looking at everything that happened. It's uh, would have been ball four, pushing the game tying run into scoring position with two outs in the ninth. Yeah. So it wasn't like it would have walked in, but yeah, you would have had first and second then. And I don't know who Correct. was up next, but whoever's after William, I don't know. Contreras who, hit second. It's so the, it's probably yeah, it's like, it's hitter, probably yeah. like Mark Hanna or somebody good. It, it was uh, yesterday. It was uh, Santana. Somebody who knows how to hit. It's yeah. not one of the Brewers guys. Who's going to strike out 30% of the time. Either way, C.B. Buckner ended their game and and um, not their hopes of, of anything because they've I'm looking at their schedule here and they've kind of got. Well, it's weird because they've got, you know, how we have all our games against the Diamondbacks still yeah. and they're in the playoff race. 
Well, they've got all their games against the Marlins still. So, and that starts next week. They got the Yankees on the road this weekend, which I don't really care if. Um, I do, actually. I, w- I saw that Yankee series, and I think this is a trap for the Brewers. And let me tell you why. Because the Yankees, the Yankees that the Cubs played were the anemic old Yankees who, like, didn't have Aaron Judge, and everything was struggling, and it wasn't going very good. And they had Josh Donaldson out there all the time, kind of wobbling around out there doing Josh Donaldson things. And that Yankees team no longer exists because they have Jason Dominguez up here. They've got Oswaldo Praza up here. They have called up all the kids and they are letting the kids play. And the kids are kind of fire, man. Like I actually think the Brewers might be in trouble in this series. It could be. I mean, they just lost to the pirates, which, uh, you know, they shouldn't be doing if, if you're trying to win your division. So that it happens though. But those games against the Marlins I've got circled. And in the middle, they've also got seven more versus the Cardinals. And I know it brings me great joy to say that the Cardinals have been terrible this year. Mostly the fault of their new catcher, Wilson Contreras. Dude, are you trying to derail the whole show? Danny, we only have like 20 minutes left. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Um, you know, run yesterday that was outstanding. Like they absolutely beat up on the Braves yesterday. Yeah. And that was the Strider start. It and, was. And, yeah. Uh, we owe, we, we might owe Wilson Contreras and the Cardinals a thank you. And uh, Cy Young Steel gets CB, his hardware. And CB Buckner. Send him that wine. Although... I don't think a drunk CB Buckner can umpire any better than a sober Dude, CB one. CB Buckner better retire before the automatic automatic ball and strike system comes in because the things we're gonna do with the CB on Twitter, it's gonna be great. <laughs> like, can't call the balls, Buckner. Criminal, criminally blind, Buckner. Challenge ball, Buckner. Yeah, challenge anyway. ball. That's good. <laughs> so, but the Nash they play the Nationals too, and the Nationals have been better. In the second half. They went 17 and 10 in August. The Nationals won a bunch of series against playoff contenders in August. Yeah, so they're they're playing spoiler. My best friend Johnny, Nationals fan, he said it's fun to watch them play spoiler. And you know the Cardinals are going to try to play spoiler. Because it's at this point of the year where franchises, I think if you're out of it, really try to send some messages for the next year. And we saw that with the Cubs where they wouldn't die and – you know, they want and you've got a bunch of guys trying to hang on, especially with this, all these crazy waiver c- releases that have happened. And that means a lot more kids are playing and these kids are trying to stay up. And, you know, and it's, w- teams get weird at this point of the year where you'll see teams that are out of it bringing up guys that you've never heard of that all of a sudden are hitting like three home runs in the series. And you're like, who's this kid? And you might never see him again. But he's trying to get himself a job for next year. And um, so it's, I don't know. I do agree that I think this division is completely in reach, not to mention the fact that we end our series, our, our season against the Brewers in Wrigleyville North. And I just, I yeah, see that's going to be wild. That's going to be wild. Um, let's talk about the series that is coming up. The Diamondbacks are coming to town. That is a four-game series over the weekend. I'm definitely going to be there for a handful of these games. Uh, Tonight, the matchup is Ryan Nelson, who is 6-7 with a 5.47 ERA, versus Javier Assad, who is 3-2 with a 2.69 ERA. Tomorrow is Zach Gallen, who has been their best pitcher by far, 14-7 with a 3.48 ERA. Jamison Tyone, uh, not the Cubs' best pitcher by far, honestly, 
get get well soon, Strowman, so we don't have to see Tyone anymore. Seven and nine with a five point seven three ERA there for Tyone. Um, and then over the weekend on Saturday and Sunday, it will be Merrill Kelly versus Justin Steele, which you got to go to that game. That is going to be an absolutely bonkers pitcher's duel. Um, and then you've got Brandon Fott, who is their rookie, who's had some home run problems this year, but has it projects to be real good over the long term against Kyle Hendricks. That will be a battle of old age and treachery versus youth and skill. What do you see in these pitcher matchups, Danny? I mean, the Diamondbacks, uh, like the Giants, hadn't really been playing well either. So uh, I just, you know, to me, it's like they, they've last I looked at it, and this was on Sunday that I wrote this down, but they were 18 and 28 since the All-Star break. They just, I don't know what they just did right before coming in. I think they won two or three, um, but uh, they just haven't been playing all that well. But it, we, we do face their kind of best guys. Pafat hasn't been good, but I don't know. I'm kind of smelling. Gallon and Kelly, Kelly have been. Fought is interesting. I mean, honestly, well, if, the wind, is blowing, if the wind is blowing out for that Fought Hendricks matchup, that could be like a 20 to 19 affair. I mean, that yeah, could it, be it, an absolutely wild game. <laughs> it's it's cooling down in, in Chicago, though. It's going to be more in the 60s and 70s and mid 70s. It'll still be nice, but in fact, nicer. Like, who wants to, it to be in the mid 80s, 90s with humidity? It's too hot. But um, yeah, Gallon and Kelly. I mean, that's going to be your tough matchups um, tonight with the rookie on the mound. I mean, could kind of go either way. That whole thing of if you've never faced a guy before, is that harder or easier? I feel like that's the old Cubs. I feel like the new Cubs don't care. And I don't know if I have no numbers to point that out, except for just watching baseball every single day. Uh, yeah, I don't have numbers to, to on that either, but I agree that they don't seem to care. Let's talk about Javier Assad for a second. So I think Javier Assad has been – outstanding since getting uh lifted to the starters role he's got a 2.69 era danny and he kind of looks like nails out there right now he's doing it a la justin Steele. there aren't a ton of strikeouts here he's getting weak contact and just sort of keeping the ball on the ground and in the yard what do you see from javier Assad? i love him i mean i was at i was at that start in um cincinnati and eight innings, just freaking nails the whole time. And he, once again, pitched to contact. Although I think he had seven strikeouts in that game. It wasn't like the one that Wicks got. But he's, I mean, talk about a guy stepping up. And this is an example of like, this is a completely different team than we saw the Cubs start the season with. You know, Javier Saad wasn't on it. Um, Or if he was, he was in the bullpen. I bet he was not. No, I'm pretty sure he started the season in Iowa or he like started in the bullpen and then immediately went to Iowa. Went down. Yeah, something like that. But either way, he wasn't a big part of this team in the in the first half. And, you know, to have this kind of production out, out of him, for him to step up, for Wicks to step up. I mean, it's such just so good to see. And this is a guy. He's from the Cubs system, but he was an international free agent that they signed. So it's just really uh, great stuff from the pitch lab, you got to give it credit because, you know, we made fun of it for so long because they didn't do anything. Like we had like, what was the number? Like, like three total. Speak for yourself. I was not making fun of the pitch lab. I may have made some comments about the fact that the pitch lab tops out at a number four starter. (laughs) What the pitch lab has done is create a bunch of like mid-level They've taken guys who would be bullpen arms at other places and turned them into number three, four, five starters for the Chicago Cubs. And that is a valuable skill. 
but with the exception of Justin Steele, we're still like developing aces here, people. It's just like a bunch of guys who, yes, I can throw a ground ball, check. Yes, I can keep it in the yard, check. No, I'm not going to strike you out. But if you have a good defense behind me, I will put up a sub three ERA. And I'm here for that. That's great. <laughs> yeah. And it's and it just shows an overall holistic approach to putting the team together and drafting the way you need to. And so to see these guys actually taking innings, because it was like a decade in the Theo is like, oh, you got to buy pitching. We're not going to develop any pitching. We're just going to buy it all. And then you trade away uh, the one guy you even had uh, for uh, Quintana. You know, and, and then he, he wasn't fair. He no, you're talking about the Chris Archer trade. No, no you're no. talking Dylan Cease trade. Sorry. Dylan Cease, yeah, Dylan Cease. Sorry, I, I was thinking way back to when they traded Chris Archer, and everybody was like freaked out that like, oh, Chris Archer, and I'm like, Chris Archer didn't wind up being that good. Yeah, we always wanted him back too. It was the weirdest I thing. Didn't. Every every off season though, it's like maybe we get Chris Archer. <laughs> you know, it was like a never ending like. I swear to God, every time we needed something to write at BCB, there'd be a new Chris Archer piece on the front page of Bleed County Blue. Whit Merrifield, too. He, he never was a Cub. God, Whit Merrifield and Chris Archer, man. The Cubs who could have been. Let's talk about the Cubs who are and the hot bats that we have seen over the last two weeks and change. Uh, Seiya Suzuki leading the charge. As I mentioned at the top, he has been red hot. It's a WRC plus of 199 over the last 14 games. Uh, Ian Happ, also red hot, 321, 413, 623, with three home runs, two stolen bases during that time period, and a WRC plus of 176. Cody Bellinger, you already knew he was red hot. He has 19 RBIs in two weeks. That's crazy. 322, 349, 576, four home runs, and a WRC plus of 143 during that time. And honestly, Danny, that is it. Everybody else is like improving a little bit, but scuffling. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how it goes. That's baseball. Yeah. You know? Baseball. You, I mean, but every time somebody is doing well, then I get scared that now it's going to regret regress because that's baseball. And vice versa. Like, I'm scared of the Seiya Suzuki regression. I don't want it to be in October. Like, can we get two months of September? <laughs> like, we need we need September to last into uh Saytober, <laughs> you know, is what we need. But then maybe it's Belltober at that time, or Talktober, or Neektober. Like we don't, you know, and that's fine because sometimes that's how it goes. If this team is built in a way that these people can pick pick up each other's slack, then it's on David Ross to manage that. And not have like basically giant black holes in the middle of your lineup that aren't producing when it's the bottom of the order that's now producing or, you know, you got to be ahead of that stuff. And that's where I'm still not sold on the whole David Ross being able to be quick enough and nimble enough to figure this stuff out and to in some ways preemptively do things. It almost feels like this team, he needs to hit, have hit things, hit them in the over the head before they make the move. You know, like they need all the information before they finally do something as opposed to being like, you know what I think is a foot here. I'm seeing something trending in a certain way and to be like early on it. That's the key to do things before they're happening, to have some sort of like premonition, some skill of divination <laughs> that you, you have to have it. A, a it's six, definitely not this Cubs leadership group. It is um, not. It is. Not. It might be the Diamonds leadership group, Diamondbacks leadership group, though. Let's talk about their hot hitters for one second. Their hottest hitter actually left yesterday's game early after getting hit by a pitch on the wrist. That's Corbin Carroll. 
who is kind of running away with rookie of the year in the National League, as far as I can see. Um, coming going into last night, he was uh slashing 326, 434, 721 over the last two weeks with a WRC plus of 200, three home runs, and three stolen bases during that period. I don't know if we'll see Carroll or, or not uh in these early games. We might not see him all weekend. I hope he gets well soon because he's a really fun player. Gabriel Moreno who, uh, and Lourdes Gurriel, who they got in a trade with the Blue Jays in the offseason, both red hot as well. WRC pluses of 170 and 149, respectively. Cattell Marte uh, slashing 302, 392, 535 with a WRC plus of 147 over the last two weeks. And Christian Walker is slashing 286, 364, 76 with a WRC plus of 123. Those are the hot hitters for the Diamondbacks. Everyone else is kind of scuffling. Yeah. I mean, same thing. Look for the scuffling guys to do well. Look for the the uh, hot guys to cool off. I don't know. They this is not a good offense. This is a middling offense. They I, I don't know what to say. Like they're not they're not that good of a team. We should be able to take at least three or four. I I think the Friday matchup looks rough. Gallon versus Tyone. Like if you're gonna have find something else, I'm sure Tyone's gonna go out there and flirt with a no hitter again. Good. Good. I'm glad. I'll be pleasantly surprised, you know, but I, I just don't have that's the that's the one matchup that I'm like, mm, <laughs> you know, I hope David, I, I just hope they get to that matchup with enough bullpen bullpen flexibility that David Ross can give Tyone a quick hook if it's very clear in like the second inning that he's just launching home runs to the features. Right. Like this is the problem with Tyone. As far as I can tell, he's had three versions of starts this year. He said the starts where he's been actually good, like the Yankee Stadium start was good. Like he's had starts where he's been very good through five or six innings. He has starts where he has been immediately and transparently, obviously very bad. That Philly start where like there's a grand slam in the first inning and somehow Tyone is still pitching in the third inning. And it's like now 11 to three or whatever. And it's like, why did we do this? Like what? It's very clear. This man does not have it today. And then there's the tie-on starts that, like, kind of make you think things are okay, but they're very clearly not. And you can see it in the pitch mix, but he's getting away with it. I'm talking about that Detroit start where he had, like, five innings of no-hit baseball before he, like, gave up a grand slam. You could tell Tyone was not going to throw a no-hitter that day. <laughs> like, if you were yeah. watching what he was doing, this was not really a no-hitter. And I really need David Ross to manage at least Jamison Tyone like it is the postseason. <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't even know if he makes a postseason roster. It's been that bad. You know, like, why would you need – I mean, unless you're going to use him out of the bullpen, but why would you do that? Like, you know, you have other Only arms. if you have Marcus Stroman back. Only if you have Marcus Stroman back. Yeah, I, I mean, God, I mean, it's tough with Tyone because, like, we had this conversation with Michael Cotton, and I, I never understand his point of view. He's like, Tyone has been manageably bad. Like, he was – I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Like, bad is bad. Like, you know, if you could get somebody else to do it, you would not use him at all, and you'd just be I, off the team, and you're paying him a lot of money to do what? Like, to give up five runs a start? Like, that's not sustainable for a winning team to have that going out every five days. Well, yeah, you just can't be planning on losing every five days. And I get what Cotton's saying. Like, yeah, if you if David Ross has a quick hook, like, it's not that bad. But David Ross never has a quick hook. He does not have a quick hook with any of these guys who are, like, grizzled veterans. He's going to let them play it out and see what happens. And then you're down 12 runs, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, where did that game go? Yeah. 
No, it's exactly. Well, and they've won a couple tie-in starts when the offense has picked on up. On accident. Exactly. All, like that, they have lucked into those wins on tie day. And it's like, I don't know, man. I hope tie figures it out in the offseason because he's going to be a cub for a good long while. But at the moment, you are managing for a postseason berth. Keep your eye on the ball and have a quick hook where Jamison Tyone is concerned. If David Ross gets that memo and Jamison Tyone has a quick hook when he faces off with Zach Gallen later this weekend, you know, Danny and I will be talking about it. Where can people find you and your takes about this Cubs Diamondback series, Danny? Well, I will be at Sunranto, S-O-N-R-A-N-T-O, pretty much everywhere that you might be looking for me. <laughs> I'll be at, at BCB underscore Sarah pretty much everywhere that you might be looking for me, with the exception of uh Blue Sky, which doesn't allow underscores, much to my chagrin. So I'm just at BCB Sarah there. I'll also be at Wrigley Field for a bunch of these games because the Cubs are playing meaningful baseball in September. And we, I am here for that. I am not gonna miss a second of it. I'm gonna go watch it at the greatest ballpark on earth. If the Cubs are able to keep their winning ways going against the Diamondbacks, we will have it here for you next time on Cup of Cubby Blue.